Father, the song is so, so strong that we are nothing without You, but all things in You. Father, thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for Your love. And Father, we just pray that now, as we move into the study of Your Word, we ask, first of all, that our worship and praise was honoring to You. Father, would You give all of us a fresh revelation of how much You love us. Father, as Paul prayed that we would just understand the height, the depth, and the width of Your love, would You remind us of Your great love for us today? And Lord, as we open up our Bibles, we pray, Holy Spirit, that You'd open up our hearts, our minds, our understanding, our ears to hear what You have to say to us, Your people. Then Lord, today would You give the grace that we need to apply the truths of Your Word to our lives. For it's in Your precious name we pray these things. And together we all would say, Amen. You may be seated this morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. I am loving this weather. Awesome. Praise God. We're studying our way through the Word of God. I invite you to open your Bibles up. We're in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. And we made it to chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. And we've been studying the life of the prophet Elisha. Elisha. We saw... At the beginning of chapter 4, we saw a couple of miracles. We saw verses 1 through 7, the miracle of provision, where Elisha instructed the widow to, uh, to, to get all the pots that she could and to start pouring oil into them, and that, that God would provide the oil that was needed until the need was met. And then we saw from verses 8 through 35, God granting a great promise to a, a woman who was barren. She had a child. But then over the course of the years, this child died. You ever experienced the death of a dream? You ever feel like your desire, that thing that, that you want, your future you're hoping on, is dissolved and gone? You ever feel that way, either physically or spiritually or mentally in your life? Well, we learned that God can give life to a dead dream. Amen? And we saw that great miracle. It was an awesome miracle. And that brings us up to where we left off. We're in uh, chapter 4, verses 38 through 41 uh, is what I've entitled, Poison in the Pot. Now, I am not going to make fun of anybody's cooking, although Daryl offered me $50 to uh, say something about Norma's cooking, but I'm not going to do that because I'm a good Christian man and I wouldn't want to bring embarrassment to anybody's cooking. Uh, so, we're just... <laughs> no. <laughs> Microwave. <laughs> Best way to go on a diet my my house is when the microwave breaks, you know. Um, y'all got your Bibles open? We better get into the Word. God is a God of love and grace. Amen. <laughs> Google, <laughs> Google it. <laughs> this is really a not only a good story, but it's got a lot of strong warnings. It's a great spiritual lesson for us. So let's read the whole thing and let's talk about it. Starting in verse 38, it says, And Elisha returned to Gilgal. Uh, he, he left the widow in that whole situation there. He's now going back to Gilgal. And there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophet were sitting before him. And he said to his servant, we know this is a guy named Gehazi. We've met him before. We will see him again. Here he's just called the servant. He tells the servant, put on a large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one, this is, is not Gehazi. This is one of the, the, the prophets, one of the uh, theological students, right? One of the Bible college students. They go out into the field to gather herbs and he found a wild vine 
and he gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds. And he came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. Verse 40. Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that the men that they cried out, Man of God, there is death in the pot. <laughs> and again, I'm not going to say any more about that. And they could not eat it. And so he said, verse 41, Elisha says, Bring some flour. Your Bible might say meal. And he put it into the pot and he said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Now, what an interesting story. Just a couple of things here and then we'll get into the, the lessons here. But if you'll notice, it says there was a famine in the land. The, the um, uh, Hebrew word there, is the word Darth. I think that's how you, you say it. It's spelled D-E-A-R-T-H. And it means a very, very, very severe famine. We learn in chapter 6 and following uh, in our book here that this is a seven-year famine and it was very devastating. So what was going on here was there was a lot of empty tummies, a lot of hungry bellies there. There was a lot of dryness, a lot of stuff happening here. It was a very severe famine. But we see and we learn that God is the answer to our needs, right? Friends, please understand this also. God will sometimes use a famine, a dry time in our life, to teach us and to increase our faith. We're not going to turn to these, but write these scriptures down. Job 23.10 and 2 Corinthians 4.17, we learn that God will use a dry time in our life so that our faith can increase, right? We're going to learn some interesting things about a famine today. Uh, we also learn from the Bible that we today, 2019, can you believe it's almost 2020? I had a real, a, a, a real one of those moments that, that shake you to your core this week, that the light bulb really goes off, and it, it just kind of halfway devastating. And here's what it was, and I don't mean this to be a joke, although it's, it's funny, uh, I saw an article of this guy that was restoring this vintage car, this vintage classic, and it was the same year I was born. And I thought, man, I, I'm vintage. That, uh, you know, that kind of shook me, right? Oh, thank you, I'm a classic. I'm worth restoring. Here's the point. If you're, feeling, if you're feeling famine in your soul, you are worth restoring. And God will renew, right? Isn't that awesome? Well, uh, there was a great time coming today. The Bible teaches that there will be another famine coming, but it's not a famine of food. Would you put on the overhead, please, Amos 8.11. This is a very staggering uh, verse of Scripture. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God that I will send a famine on the land, but not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. Now, in the time of Amos, as you study the Old Testament, you will find that there was a lot of religious activities going on in Amos's day, but there was not a seeking of the true God. There was a, a doing away with the word of God. Oh, they were very busy. They were making sacrifices. They were doing plenty of stuff, but they were not seeking with a sincere heart and they weren't worshiping honestly the great God Jehovah. They were doing things with Baal. They were doing all this other stuff. And whenever you start moving God away from any 
people, whether it's you as an individual, you as a family, you as a church, you as a nation, whatever it is, more you start moving away from God, right, the worse things are going to get. And you're going to start drying up. Uh, morale, morality is going to sink. Can you believe that, that we celebrate the murder of innocent children in these days? We've perverted the great things of God like marriage. We do crazy things and think we're a superior being. Friends, how many of you know that our world tells us that we are evolving? We're not evolving. Without God, we are devolving. Why are we surprised when we teach our kids they come from monkeys? Why are we surprised they're acting like animals? Now you're saying, Clay, you're preaching. Get back to the Bible study. But it, don't we need to say this stuff? Right? So they were getting away from, from God, and they were behaving that way. So God says, if that's the way you want it, Amos 8, 11, there's going to come a time that you're not going to be able to find the Word of God. What a scary thing that is, right? And so uh, there was a lot of hearing bad things but they weren't hearing from god how many of you know like in this story there are a lot of wild vines out in the world that are producing fruit that will kill you a lot of crazy religious things going on but they're devastating to you well let's keep keep going here uh what a tragedy it is to have plenty of religion but no word of god no light in the darkness no nourishment for the soul no direction for the lost. Would you put on the overhead, please? First Peter 2, verse 2. Another great scripture that we need to know. This is instructions to you and I. Whether we've been saved and born again a day or 50 years or whatever, as newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Uh, we are fortunate enough in our household, uh, we have a three-month-old granddaughter. And anyone that's had children, grandchildren, all that stuff, you know when a baby's hungry, they let you know. Right? And we need to be like that for the Word of God. But I want to call your attention to that word pure. Some Bibles, translation, don't say the word pure. They say the word sincere. The, the uh, Greek word for there means a non-diluted word. That's what I want to focus on a little bit here. Because unfortunately in our world, our world dilutes the Word of God. We have buffet churches where we can pick and choose what we want, right? And, and, and miss the good, healthy stuff. Wild vines producing bad fruit that produce death. We need to desire the Word of God that is not diluted, that's not watered down, but is healthy. Why? That we may grow thereby so that we can be healthy in our relationship. Now, it's a shame this was a theological student, but he didn't know the difference between a good vine and a bad vine. Friends, just because a preacher has a TV show, is on the radio, is on the internet, has a church, doesn't mean the fruit that they are producing is good, healthy fruit. That's why we need to be good students of the Word of God so that we can distinguish right from wrong. Because there's a lot of dangerous fruit. There's a, uh, uh, a new thing. I, didn't, I thought this was a joke, but someone told me when I was sharing with them what we're going through. Because this gourd, it looked good on the outside. Sliced up good. Might have smelt good. But it tasted bad. There's a lot of weird religious 
goofiness going on in churches today. Have you heard of this? Uh, if you have, please tell me that you recognized it as bad fruit. But have you heard of the newest Christian phase coming out of California called grave sucking? It's based upon Elisha. Because we'll see in a few weeks that when Elisha passes away, he's buried a few years past and, and uh, persecution against the Hebrews are, are really bad and some, this guy passed away and so his buddies are burying him and the bad guys come and they get scared so they just toss him in Elisha's grave and he falls on Elisha's remains and he comes back to life. Well, based on that, this new thing called grave sucking, YouTube it, Google it. It's the craziest thing you ever People are going to graveyards and laying on famous Christians' graves to get their anointing. Friends, this is demonic. But people are just eating it up. If you experience that, shame on you. I mean, I mean, you need to repent. Looks good on the outside. It promises health. It promises to make your stew good, but it's going to bring death to you. Right? It goes by some other names, but grave sucking is... <sighs> there's, just, there's just some... Uh, let me, I want, before I say this, I want to look, see who's here. Okay, no one here this applies to. There are some dumb Christians. Not in our church. But they'll fall for anything. They will fall for any, And it's sad. They can't tell a good gourd from a bad gourd. Is this making sense? All right. And this was a theological student. But here's something else that I think we need to be aware of. Uh, you, guys mind not, you guys mind being offended a little bit today? I mean, look how empty the church is. <laughs> of course no one minds, Clay. This, this student, this, this follower of Jehovah, this theological student, son of the prophet, his intentions were good. His intentions were, were to help and to bless. But because of a lack of knowledge, he hurt. Friends, good intentions don't get us into heaven. I hear a lot of people say, you know, they'll be involved in something they shouldn't be involved in, and they'll... They act like a Christian shouldn't act and do stuff like that. And they say, well, God knows my heart. Friends, that should scare you. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. That should panic you, friends. It panics me. Right? His intentions were good, but because of ignorance, because he, he, he couldn't identify the, the vine, which means he couldn't then identify the fruit. Jesus said you'll know the, the, the tree by the fruit. He brought death to the camp. Friends, we need to be very, very careful. Amen? Making sense? Now, the... Uh, make sure I'm getting all my notes here. What happens when we're feeling a famine? What happens if we, for whatever reason, get exposed to this? Well, verse 41 is our verse. This is such a beautiful picture of what God does for us. Whether... Uh, we expose ourselves and bring on our own famine, whether we bring on our own poisoning, whether we do it ourselves, whether it's the response of someone else, whatever happens, if there's a problem, and not only a food problem, uh, if you have a problem in a relationship with your money, whatever, this is the answer. Check it out, verse 41. So Elisha doesn't panic. He says, bring me some flour. Your Bible might say meal. That is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. John 6, 35, Jesus is the bread of life. And friends, 
once again, very seriously and very sincerely, <laughs> Jesus Christ is the only thing that can neutralize the poison in your life. See, the world, notice Elisha didn't say throw it out. I think all of us in here are very fortunate that God doesn't say throw them out because none of us would probably be where we are now. But God says, put this in. Put in the bread of life. Flour is also a picture in the Bible, John 15, 3, of the Word of God. Manna. So whenever we have a situation that's very deadly, it's, 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 it's dangerous, it could affect us negatively, when we inject the Word of God, when we inject Jesus Christ into that situation, into our life, it says it was healed, the pot was healed. Isn't that awesome? God, when we mess up, whether it's our fault or someone else's fault, we're an innocent victim, whatever it is, when we apply Jesus Christ and His Word, God brings healing and restoration. Now, they had to eat it. What does that mean? It means you have to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to live according to the Word of God. You've got to do your part. See, a lot of people, as we're going to see next chapter, I don't know if we'll get to, to Naaman uh, today or, or next week, but Naaman, the leper, he comes to Elisha, and he wants to be cleaned of his leprosy. And Elisha says, go, go jump in the river. And he didn't say that mean. You ever want to tell people that? Yeah, yeah. I was a kid once, and Mom, I did something dumb. Believe that or not. Uh, Mom said, well, if, if he would have said to jump off a cliff, would you have done it? Well, if it was over water, I might have. You know, that, that wasn't the answer to give to your parents when they're scolding you. But Naaman says this. He goes, I thought the man of God would come out and wave his hand over me and my leprosy be gone. Friends, sometimes we're waiting for a magical formula from the preacher when we got to eat the soup ourselves. Make sense? Well, let's, keep, let's keep going here. So we add that. Uh, I made a note here. Nothing needs to be terminal. When we feel a famine in our life on whatever plane, we can add Jesus, we add the word of God, and God will heal. And there's no longer death in the pot. Isn't that a great little study? Okay. Uh, let's move on to the next miracle. Also a food miracle. This was a forerunner to Jesus feeding of the 5,000 and then the 4,000. This is Elisha feeding 100 men. This is going to be a good study. Verse 42. Then a man came from Belsh, uh, that place. I have a hard time with some of these names. Uh, and he brought the man of, man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread, newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it, and this is Elisha now saying, give it to the people that they may eat. And then a servant, this is Gehazi, said, what? Shall I set before, the, before 100 men? And he said, again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate, and they had some left over according to the word of God. What a great, great miracle. Let's talk and learn some things here also. Uh, Jeroboam had driven out all the Levitical priesthood. And so this guy being faithful to the Mosaic law, he couldn't bring his first fruits to the, to the priest, so he brings them to the man of God, Elisha, right? In accordance to the law, that's what he did. This Bel Shalisha, I know I didn't say it right, but what? Shalisha. Isn't that a singer? 
Chili. Anyway, this town, this was the capital of bell worship. Okay? So even though he was living in this bad environment, he is still being obedient to the word of God. Friends, it doesn't matter where you live, what you're doing, where you work, you can still obey God. Your, your sacrifices and your obedience to God isn't dictated upon the conditions and the circumstances or the laws of your land. Amen? So he brings them, and he's bringing the first fruit. This is a picture of the tithing. Now, for the overhead, would you please put Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 up? A very important scripture that we need to learn. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. There's a reason for doing this. One of the reasons for uh, paying the first fruits, honoring God with the tithe, is you're acknowledging that God gave you these blessings. You're also telling God, I'm trusting you with further blessings. I'm trusting you for the rest of the harvest, right? God, you're in control. You provided this. You gave me the power to have wealth. I'm acknowledging you. But you get something else out of that so that your barns will be filled with plenty. When you pay your tithes, when you give of your first fruits, you are securing your future. And that your vats will overflow with new wine. Right? This is the blessings that God gives. Now, we're to honor God with that. I've got a list of scriptures for you. Will you put that up there? You guys write these down. I'm giving you some homework. Uh, a whole list of them here. Give us just a second. Okay. Malachi 3, verses 8 through 12 is a great scripture about tithing and honoring God. This is where God says, hey, the reason you're lacking is because you're not honoring me. You're stealing from me. Give to me and I'll bless you. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. That's the one I just 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 gave you. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says this. There is one who scatters. In other words, sowing your seed, giving, yet increases more. Okay. You ever hear a preacher say you can't outgive God? That's not just the words of a slick preacher wanting you to give. That's true. Okay. And there's one who withholds more than is right, and it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and all who water will himself be watered. And then there's Luke 6, 38, uh, that says, Give, and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So you set the blessing. Visualize, if you will, a water faucet, right? You can open it a little, a little trickle will come out. You can open that baby the whole way and get the full force up to you. That's the way it works. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly, that means gives, will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. These are spiritual laws about giving. This is not a, a, a lesson on giving, but you guys... Me, all Christians need to understand this and practice that principle. That's why I gave you these. What I want to highlight and look at in this parable is the other side of giving. What does your giving accomplish? All those scriptures that I gave you, all these here, we see one benefit of giving is we get blessed back. But what does your gift do when you give to the offering, when we support missions? What does God do with that? Well, like we saw here, God can multiply a little bit to accomplish a lot it is absolutely incredible what god can do missionaries tell stories uh, about this all the time 
I was fortunate en enough to see this for myself, my own eyes, in Brazil and in Africa. In Brazil, I was there with Dr. Robert Wellman, and he has these schools and these orphanages and these churches and all this stuff. And we were touring one school and getting ready, as getting ready to preach, right? I'm going to bring this message of faith. We go through the, the, the school, right? And they're getting ready for lunch. And he had all these empty bowls set out right there. And the, the teacher says to, uh, to Dr. Wellman, we got one sack of beans. They had one little sack of beans, two pounds maybe, right? And they got a hundred and some kids. But they set the plates. And Dr. Wellman says, cook the beans. I'm thinking to myself, well, each kid will get one, two, maybe three beans. I personally saw this la these ladies scooping out beans. And check this out. I still can't, I, I can't figure it out. Scooping out beans and rice from one pot. And serving it to the kids. How does that happen? God, God can do things that we can't figure out. I saw it happen in Africa with, with, with um, Princess Evelyn. Same situation. Nothing in the pantry except a few little fruits and, and uh, nothing. And she's, she's feeding a village. How does that happen? God does it. Why am I sharing this with you? Because, friends, we support missionaries. They're, they're on the wall back there. And we won't know on this side of eternity lives that have been saved because of your obedience. We don't know how many people have been introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ because you gave. Now, in, compared to some churches, we give very little. Compared to some churches, we give a lot. But when we give, God uses to bless others. So those scriptures that were up there, yeah, you get a blessing by giving. But the greatest thing, friends, when you give is that you give blessings to others. And when our mind moves from, I'm going to get to give, and it turns to, I'm going to give to bless, you'll find even greater and more powerful blessings. Isn't that awesome? Friends, it, we, we have always struggled from day one financially here. We, we always have, and I hope someday we never have, have. but it's just the way God is working it. Uh, you know, we don't pass the plate. We just trust God to speak to your hearts and for you, you to be obedient. And uh, so that's not my purpose of saying this. My purpose of saying this is you need to learn to be obedient in your giving. Because famine is coming. You need to be, learn to be obedient and disciplined in your Bible reading, in your praying, in your worshiping, in your fellowshipping, and in your giving. Amen? And we can trust God for everything else. Well, let's look at the next chapter because this is fantastic. Fantastic. Um, and I'm going to try to go through this quick. I, I'm, getting, I'm making better time than I thought I would. So that's, that's good. This is the fascinating story of Naaman, the leper, being healed. You know, Elijah, Elijah is mentioned 29 times in the New Testament. Elisha, who had the double portion, the double amount of 
miracles and all this stuff. He's only mentioned once. And he's only mentioned once by the Lord Jesus about this miracle. Would you put that on the overhead, Luke 4, 27? This is kind of cool. The only time he's mentioned, Jesus is speaking and says, and many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. The only time he's mentioned, and it made the Hebrew people mad because Jesus was kind of scolding them. You know, God did this great miracle and it wasn't even for Israel because Israel was disobedient. Well, let's look at this. In this chapter, we're going to see three great enemies to our soul, to our life. The first enemy is pride. Second enemy is greed. And the third enemy most people don't recognize, but it's called evil questioning. Let's check it out, shall we? Let's start reading verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Now, uh, Syria and Israel, at this time, they were having some squamishes, raiding parties going in, but they had kind of this peace agreement. They had warred in the past. One side would win, then this side would win. So they never really had this great relationship. But in this time, they were in supposedly peace relationship. And so here we have Naaman, who's this great man. He was very uh, wealthy. He was high ranking. He was of great value to his king and to his nation. But he had one little problem, and that was leprosy. Leprosy in the Bible, like leaven, is a picture of sin. Leviticus 13 gives a great and a clear parallel to that. Leprosy is the only disease in the Bible that isn't called a disease. It's called unclean. It's the only uh, disease in the Bible that there was no cure for. You had to be cleansed. Leprosy was a sure killer. Unlike today where we have some medicines and things like that, once you had leprosy in the Old Testament, uh, it, was a, it was sure enough a death sentence. It would take a long time. It would disable you was very cruel people could try to cover up leprosy like people try to cover up sin but after a while the effects would always be made manifest a lot of people try to cover up the leprosy of sin and you can get away with it for a little time right but the effects of it will always come to pass so that's why it's a perfect picture of sin and like leprosy sin is much deeper than the skin and it spreads it defiles it isolates and it was only fit for the fire. The only way they could deal with it. J. Vernon McGee says this. Many people today whitewash sin. And what they need to be is washed white. And only Christ can do that. Isn't that awesome? So, very cool. With that background, let's check it out. He has leprosy. And the Syrians had gone out on raids. Again, they're raiding Israel and stuff. Although they were in this peace treaty. And they brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. This was a common practice in that day is to take slaves, and young girls were, were used to be household maids and stuff like this. Here was a young Hebrew girl who was taken in this raid. She's removed from her family. Now she's waiting on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, if only my master were, were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Now notice this. This girl is taken probably violently away from her home, away from her family, and now she's put in servanthood to the guy who took her away, but yet she still says, there's hope for you. 
If you would only go see the prophet who's in Israel, you will be cleansed. Verse 4, so Naaman, he, he believed her. He probably tried a lot of things to cure this leprosy. So he went in and told his master, the king, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Well, go now, and I will send the letter to the king of Israel. So he departed, and he took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Now this is uh, equivalent to 750 pounds of, of silver and 150 pounds of gold and these great clothing, right? So a nice gift. This was proper protocol in that day for doing that. And he brings this letter to the king of Israel. But look what he writes. He says, now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. Well, now the girl didn't say the king could do it. He said, there's a prophet who can do it, right? But the king of Syria, like people today, they just can't quite get the God thing. Right? And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, he freaked out. He tore his clothes. He's thinking, this is an act of war. What can I do? He says, am I in God, God to kill and to make alive? And this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy. Therefore, please consider to see how he seeks a quarrel with me. This is just an act of, of violence. He's going to, uh, to try to hurt us here. Verse 8. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. So the news is spreading around town that the king is freaked out about, over this. And Elisha goes to him and says, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he will know that there is not a king in Israel, but that there is a prophet in Israel. And Naaman went with his horses and chariots and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now this would have been quite the deal. It, uh, uh, um, fancy horses, all this stuff. And he comes to the door. Now I love this. And Elisha sent, this verse 10, and Elisha sent the messenger to him saying, he doesn't go himself, he just sends him. Because here's the first hurdle that Naaman had to cross, and that was the sin of pride. Pride. Would you put on the overhead, please, uh, Proverbs 29, 23? It says, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will retain honor. Through this whole thing, God deals with this man about his pride. Also put on the overhead, please, James 4, 6. Hey, oh, that's not the one I wanted. I gave you the wrong one. Don't worry about that. But that's a good scripture. Right? Well, let's move on. I, I got the wrong scripture. Anyway, uh, so he, come, he sends his, his guy out, and he says to him, go and wash in the Jordan. If you like writing in your Bible, you can circle the word Jordan, and next to it, write the word judgment. Seven times, seven times the number of completion. Go and wash seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Now, verse 11 is where we get into that sin of evil questioning. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians fall into this. Look what he does. He becomes furious, and he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, oh, there's your problem. What you should have said to yourself was, Jehovah can take care of this. But that's not what he says. I said to myself, I will surely, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the, of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. See, he's expecting this magical formula, this fairy dust. A lot of people think that way, you know. And, and a lot of people, once again, uh, I don't think it applies to anyone in here. 
and if it does forgive me uh, but a lot of people were having some struggle in their marriages and they'll come to me and they'll they expect me to say a, quote a poem or something and shake feathers over you or something like that and all of a sudden you're going to be madly in love again like like in your courting days how many of you know that don't work tonight is the last session of the marriage series and guess what it's on overcoming um, conflict yeah see it's not my marriage I don't even know the word <laughs> overcoming conflict it should packed house tonight <laughs> oh I'm sorry how did Mark know that word anyway uh, where was I going with all that oh sometimes we tell God how to answer our prayers and God doesn't do it the way we think he should so we give up on God, right? It's called evil questioning. Friends, uh, once again, we all need to get this in our heads. You'll save yourself a lot of trouble. God is God and you're not. All right? We surrender to God and it'll work out better than if we try to do it ourselves. You ever birth your own Ishmael's? The world's still dealing with that, right? Anyway, let's keep going. He said, I thought this would happen. Verse 12. And are not the Abion, that means Golden River, this was a beautiful river in Syria, and the uh, Farfar River, another beautiful river of Damascus, better than all the waters in Israel. Jordan was muddy, sometimes it was small. It wasn't this great pleasure river, it was the river of judgment. He said, our rivers, rivers of the world, are better than the rivers of God. Our world still t believes that lie, right? Oh, what the world offers us is better than what God offers us wrong could i go and wash in them and be cleansed so he turned away and he went in a rage now verse 13 and a servant came near and spoke to him and said my father now if the prophet had told you to do something great would you not have done it if he would have told you you had to climb a mountain you had to do all this you had to do all that if you do something heroic you would have done it because that's the type of man you are why doesn't god allow us to receive miracles because of something we do because then we take the credit all we got to supply is the faith and let God do the work so he says you know if he would have asked you to do something that you could brag about you could put on Facebook and get all these likes and and everyone you'll go viral and all this stuff you would have done it right how much more then when he says to you go and wash and be clean let me ask you guys a question are you willing to do if you're a lot of Christians are willing to do the hard stuff. But what about the easy stuff? See, we don't have to do heroic things. We just got to be obedient to all things. Go and wash. Verse 14. And so he went down and he dipped seven times. In the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like and underline this. The flesh of a little child and he was clean I did this quick little Google search someone I'm gonna give you permission to talk out loud in church someone give a guess of how much money is spent every year by both males and females to try to make their skin look like the skin of a child billions of dollars all you need to do is wash in the Jordan Right? 
And he returned to the man of God. He's changed man. This is, this is a picture of being born again. Put on the overhead, please, Matthew 18.3. And said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Friends, more happened to him than just leprosy going away. His skin was treated, but so was his heart. And he comes up out of there. John 3, 3 through 8. That's a New Testament language of being born again. He comes out, the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So he goes back to the man of God. This is about a 30-mile trip from Elisha's house to the river. He and all his aides, and he came and he stood before him, and he said, Indeed now, I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Okay? Elisha now goes out to meet him. Because he's had this change. He's had this, this encounter with God. And he says, now I know the land that I left is full of fake gods. There's only one real God. He's the God of Israel. He's the God of all the earth. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Once again, here's his, his uh, humility. It was common to, to give a gift. But once again, the man of God doesn't do it. And there's reasons for that. He says, as the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. Okay? We are not saved by gifts, but we are to receive the free gift of God. Make sense? I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he said no. So Naaman said, if not, then please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth. I want some dirt. The mindset for the people that day is that God's lived in geographical areas. That's why he said there's only one God, and he's the God in Israel. So they believed that, that you know, gods didn't travel. They didn't understand how the real God works. So he says, can I take some dirt with me so I can continue worshiping your God at my house? For your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods, but only to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. He says, I got one little issue here. When my master goes into the temple of Rimmon to worship there and he leans on my hand, okay, because of my position, because of my job, I have to go through this thing with the king. And I bowed down in the temple of Rimmon. When I bowed down in the temple, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. I'm obligated to do this to keep my job. I have to do it. It's expected me of the king. It's expected me of the people. I've got to do all that. Would you please let God know that although my knees are bowed in this temple, my heart is with God. And so he said to him, go in peace. He didn't give him this big theological discussion. That's not a real God. Blah, 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 blah. He just says, go in peace. So he departed from him and he went a short distance. Now, here's where we get to the greed part. And this is incredible. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while, I, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Gehazi, he hasn't learned to trust God yet. Gehazi hasn't figured it out yet. I'm doing better with a man of God than with the things of the world. So he says, I'm going to go get something. 
Verse 21, so Gehazi pursued Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from his chariot. Once again, we see the humility that has changed in his heart. The general steps down off of his chariot to meet this guy. Beforehand, he would never do that. And he asked, is all well? Verse 22, and he said, all is well. My master sent me saying, oh, here's lie number one. Indeed, just now, two men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two chains two changes of garments so Naaman said please take two talents and he urged him and he bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants that they may carry him on ahead he not only gave him this and the two talents of silver is about 150 pounds so this is a lot of silver he also supplied the guys to carry him verse 24 when he came to the citadel he took them from their hand and he stored them away in the house uh, he let no man then he let the men go and they departed. <laughs> now, when he went in and he stood before his master, Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, oh, your servant didn't go anywhere. There's lie number two. And then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Don't you know, Gehazi went, mm-hmm. Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen and male and female servants? We kind of see what Gehazi is saving his money for. Right? Now, verse 27 is the scary verse. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. This was a very, very severe judgment but he was uh, painting the wrong picture of God to Naaman. Elisha showed Naaman the real God of Israel and that the real God of Israel couldn't be bought. He couldn't be manipulated, but he gave grace, he gave mercy. And Gehazi ruined that picture. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who call themselves ministers, reverends, apostles, doc doctors, all this kind of stuff, they're painting a very blurry picture of our God to the world. They're painting a picture of God to our world that God uh, needs to be bought in order to do things. Right? The Bible says, freely you have received, freely give. One of the awesome things about the Blackwood brothers when they're coming, you know, a lot of musical groups, especially ones that have gotten some success they have a a minimum size church that they'll perform in you got to have so many people you got to give us so much money all this stuff before they'll even talk to you people like the blackwood say we don't care but what if it's a wednesday night and we got 12 people here where 12 people 1200 we're, we're worshiping god that's the way it should be done amen i had a professor in bible college and i have to repeat this a lot to myself he asked us, he goes, guys, would you be willing to put in the, the time and study and the, the hours to preach to 10 people as to 10,000 people? And most ministers, if they were honest, would say no. But one soul is worth it. Naaman was one man. Because we find in the future that this one man goes back to Syria and he tells another man about Jehovah who tells another man about Jehovah. 
Friends, we never know what we're going to do when we trust God and give to God. That's all I got, I think. That's all I got. Let's stand and pray. Join me up here, worship team. Life of Elisha is awesome. Really great, great study. And we'll continue studying his life uh, next week when we uh, learn some other great, valuable truths that we can apply to our lives. Amen. Do you guys learn anything today? Cool. Right on. I hope so. That's, that's my goal every week. Well, as we saw, God is the God who meets our needs. He is the God of provision. He's the God that's got the answer. And here's how I'm going to end my little talk before I pray and we open the altars. And that is, whatever pot's before you, whether it's good stew, poison stew, whatever it is, add the flour, add the Lord, add the Word of God, and let God do His work. But remember, they had to eat it in order to feel the effects. And that is, receive the Word of God. Live by the Word of God. Apply God into your life. Inject Jesus Christ into your families. Inject Jesus Christ into your marriage. Inject Jesus Christ into how you raise your children, how you do your banking, how you do your business, and base it upon the Word of God. And just like this pot, it will bless the people who feed out of it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for challenging us. Lord, there are many of us here today who need to uh, learn the lessons of giving. And I pray that today we see that giving means more than just keeping the doors open for church. It's saving lives. Father, it's feeding hungry stomachs. It's providing much needed things that that, that people need just to live, toiletries, toothpaste. Father, thank you for allowing us to be part of that. Father, may we not be guilty. It's easy to condemn and to keep ourselves from pride and greed. But Lord, may we not fall into the sin of evil questioning. Lord, would you help us to trust you in all things? Father, sometimes we we go through some tough, tough trials, some rocky roads, but we can trust you through those. So help us, Lord, to not tell you how to do your job, but just to receive your instructions. Father, we thank you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen.